right. Hello, welcome to Small Biz Tips. So I believe about two to three weeks ago, I connected with a friend of mine and we, we met with some cool people. And one of the people I met was this gentleman. He was telling me about his, you know, his journey as an entrepreneur. And I'm like, yo, you got to come to the podcast. Charles, what's up, man? <laughs> what's going on, brother? How you doing? I am fantastic. And I want to thank you so much for jumping on. I'm excited for you to share your journey with our audience here. But before we go any further, who is Charles? Man, uh, <laughs> I'm a lot of things. So one, uh, father, uh, husband, um, mm -hmm. founder, um, and now a venture capitalist with 1888. Uh, mm. general partner there. Uh, we focus on investing and emerging technology in the Southeast, Midwest, and Mid-Atlantic. Nice, nice. All right, so let's go back a little bit, right? How, first, how do you even get into VCs and, you know, entrepreneurship? How did you start your entrepreneurship journey? Man, great question. How do I start my entrepreneurship journey? So, one, I, I, I'm a big believer that relationships uh, people are the ultimate currency uh, that moves the world. Uh, you know, I was able to get in the entrepreneurial world because of friends. Uh, the first journey that I took to jump into entrepreneurship was at a company called Beastrader because a friend okay. of mine, uh, David Baldwin, made a suggestion for me to work there. And then after that, uh, one of my close friends, uh, teammate and classmate um, at Duke, uh, Zach Maritas, hit me up uh, to join with him at Teamworks. Mm. And uh, after that, my, the next company uh, that I uh, started was with my friend Christopher Gergen um, over at Ford City. So uh, literally it was just being plugged in with really good friends. I would say both of those uh, last two uh, were yeah. Duke grads. So uh, definitely got the Duke Mafia locked in and all that good <laughs> stuff. So yeah, I would say a lot of it's just relationships and, and nice. You know, being able to execute each time you know I was at 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 the plate. So you mentioned teammate and friends. So did you play sports at Duke? Yeah, yeah, I played football. What? What? What position? Yeah. Uh, I play outside linebacker. Uh, drop down Sam. Wow. Well, congrats, man. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. Wow, I appreciate I you, bro. You, you know Thank what it you. is? I notice um, a lot of athletes that I know uh, become entrepreneurs and not just any entrepreneurs, they're high performing entrepreneurs. So I'm curious, do you think, um, you know, being uh, an athlete had an impact on you being an entrepreneur? Yeah, I mean, fun fact, 95% of the Fortune 500 CEOs played uh, sports. Um, and huh. that's a pretty interesting uh Thing to know, but uh, you know, becoming an being an entrepreneur is a gift and a curse. You know what I mean? I tell people more often, like I'm cursed uh, to be an entrepreneur because you know, uh, there's definitely uh, more steadiness in having a job, and I I don't mm -hmm. feel that having a job is is a bad thing. I I think more people um, should be an entrepreneur within mm. the companies that they work in, um, where they are creative, innovative within a structured organization and with a certain mm -hmm. amount of time and metrics um, than just trying to create their own thing. Um, but as far as the, you know, the entrepreneurial journey, um, I owe a lot of that to many different people. Uh, but one in particular, 
uh, Jess Lipson, who started a company called ShareFile and his okay. second company called Levitate. Um, he was the person who really pushed me to, you know, be entrepreneurial. And then not only that, he kind of demystified a lot of the fears that I had about what entrepreneurship looked like. And the mm. fact that you don't need to have the answers beforehand. You just need to be an avid doer um, yeah. to be an entrepreneur. So as you have ideas, you solve that problem, then the next problem comes, you solve that problem, and eventually you end up with a business. Uh, I love it. I love it. So I also noticed you mentioned you 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 actually partner up with a lot of your friends to do businesses. Uh, tell us more about that, right? Because sometimes you hear don't partner with friends to start your business. Uh, it seems to me that it works for you. So what was the secret there? Yeah, and I think a lot of times when when I hear that, I've had I've had some folks ask me this question as well. I think the big thing is you want to partner up with people who are moving in the same direction that you're moving. Mm. Um, sometimes if you have childhood friends, they tend to place you in this box and have a perception of you of mm. not where you're going, but where you were, not even where you are, but that typically can be friction because if they believe yeah. you to be someone from your past, it's difficult to move forward. But I say, you know, working with friends, it alleviates a lot of the uh, uh, non-negotiables such as integrity, um, mm -hmm. being able to have uh, chemistry. Those things are very hard, hard things that you can't coach, you can't read in a book. You yeah. either have it or you don't. Um, and then the latter part of why I think working with my friends worked was that we practiced uh, radical honesty. Radical Candor is a, is a book that I know uh, some of my friends have, have read and I've read as well, where you're just uh, very honest, you know, about uh, not confusing effort with results. And you're going to always be my friend, but we may not work together if you can't put points on the board when you need it. And I think wow. that's what really... Uh, this is why I was successful with working with friends. So let's talk a little bit about some of your success. Um, I know you have several different companies. Some of them you raise capital. Tell us about, I think one of them is Teamworks, right? Yeah. So tell us about that story because I thought that was pretty fascinating how you guys you know, were able to build this business and raise capital for it. Yeah, so one thing I, I love about uh, Team Merch and Zach specifically, man, he is, uh, his talent is taking things that typically seems like very complex and focuses on like the very small dot. Mm. And he'll say, I'm only going to focus on this little dot and we're going to keep hitting this dot till it turns to dust. You <laughs> squeeze it back and keep hitting it again. And we initially started that out with just focusing on football teams. Okay. And we worked our way from Duke being our first customer. Um, and then from there, we, we built out a case study uh, to get other uh, football teams in North Carolina on the trial. So mm -hmm. we went to UNC, NC State, Wake Forest, et cetera. And then we gradually went out further to South Carolina and then focused on the ACC schools and then went to the SEC schools, wow. Big 12. And then we gradually went back and said, hey, instead of football, let's, because you already have the, the largest gen revenue generating sports, let's get all sports from there. So we got entire departments and then worked our way up. And then from there, we focused on conferences. So we were like, how do we get ACC conference pull up? How do we get 
uh, Big 12. And then we focused on uh, FCA versus uh, FCS versus FBS. And it was literally just a gradual step being razor sharp focused on hitting our targets and building those relationships one by one and just knocking those things out one by one. And then it turned into something really big where now the strategy of Teamworks is that you acquire the business uh, that, prevent, that that provides the revenue based off of the strategy. So we recently raised uh, 65 million Series E to acquire arms. And wow. yeah, I think I think that's that's really the the journey in, in itself, which is being razor sharp focus on hitting your targets. So how long did it take you guys to do that? <laughs> uh, Zach always says, I love saying it's like, it. I would say it, it, it takes seven years to become an overnight success uh is is usually like the rule of thumb but i mean when you say to do that you know that's relative to you know whatever point you decide to you know check the the, the box but i know uh zach had started this you know in 2011 mm-hmm. um and then i came on around 2012 um and you know we we started this grow and scale it from there so we're in 2023 uh, raising 65 million um, is, a, is a beautiful journey, but it's a long journey, but it doesn't yeah. feel long when you're doing it with friends and, you know, on that journey together. So. No, that's awesome. Another question I have around that is, you know, you're raising 65 million to acquire other businesses. Tell us more about that process, right? Because, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs sometimes hear, Oh, this guy raised a hundred million. This guy raised 10 million. People are trying to figure out, you know, how do we actually do that? Like, what what was that path, that process to go about raising that capital? Yeah, so I mean, it's 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 not as complex as people make it seem. I think the reason why it becomes complex for most people is because they're not building relationships now. They want to build relationships when they need something. Mm. That's that's the worst time to build relationships. Like, you want to be building relationships with people that you want to do business with in the future years in advance so that when you do have something and yeah. you didn't ask them for anything, you say, Hey, you know, I have a really cool opportunity. We've been friends for so, uh, you know, for some time now, like take a look at this. I think this might be good for you. And you literally know this would be a good opportunity for them. Yeah. And that's just on the high net worth individual side. If you're dealing with institutions, it's just building those relationships with the folks that are the decision makers in that institution where mm. the institution will track you over the time because you don't need anything from them now. And then yeah. eventually they'll see that you you are who you say you are and, and they're successful. Um, it opens up more opportunities down the road um, for you to provide, you know, um, investment opportunity for them to invest. So that's where I think most people fall short is that they don't see the intrinsic value of building relationships now, mm-hmm. um, it almost becomes alive uh, when it's when the lights are on and you like you need to close the deal right now. I'm not mm-hmm. saying that's not possible. I'm just saying yeah. that's the part that makes it difficult because most of the time, the people that do massive, really large scale deals are doing it with friends. You know, they have a friend who's like the CEO of Goldman Sachs yeah. or a friend who's um, you know. A, uh, a partner at um, Sequoia or Andreessen Horowitz, et cetera, but they've been friends since college. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's really powerful. Like relationship is the core of everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. I yeah. love it. So 
I, I want to go further, right? Now you mentioned you have a VC firm and you also do some angel investment. Correct. Mm -hmm. so, tell us what's the difference between a VC and an angel investor? Because uh, sometimes, you know, people hear one or the other, but they're not sure what it is. So, <laughs> Great question, man. So an angel investor usually invests at early stages, um, okay. earlier stages. So pre-seed, uh, pre-product, pre-revenue, a um, lot more risky investment. Um, but they'll catch you at an early um, valuation. So they, mm -hmm. even though they take on more risk, they probably will get more reward if you're successful. Uh, so angel investors usually uh, work with companies at earlier stages. That's one. Two, angel investors usually write smaller checks. Gotcha. Um, it's typically done through uh, folks who are high net, who are accredited, accredited investors. Um, yeah. And for the folks listening, an accredited investor is anyone who has a million dollars net worth, uh, a single single household, and uh -huh. uh, two million or a uh, two person household or 200,000 for a single person household and 300,000 annual revenue, I mean, annual uh, salary uh, mm -hmm. for a two-person household. So that's what an accredited investor is. So you usually get accredited investors who invest smaller checks um, uh, at an early stage. And then venture capital usually are uh, found in this uh, seed, pre-seed, series okay. A and beyond. Um, and they take uh, equity positions, um, convertible debt. Um, there are different vehicles that are used from a financial uh, instrument uh, mm -hmm. to invest in these companies, but they usually are writing larger checks. So $100,000, uh, $200,000 and beyond. So you're looking at Angel, hey, from 10 grand to that 100 grand mark. And then beyond that, you see VCs from like the 100 to maybe 10 million, 20 millions. Um, depends on what it is. Now, for your firm, tell us more about, you know, how do I how do you identify, okay, this is a deal that I want to invest in? Absolutely. So the three things, I mean, there are a lot of different things that we do in due diligence, but I, I, I like to use alliteration just to kind of make sure that the, the viewers can kind of capture what's important um, to some VCs and, mm -hmm. you know, specifically ours. But I think a lot of VCs look at this, all of them if, if at some point look at this. Uh, the three T's, it's the timing. So mm -hmm. is your service or product in the right timing? An example I think of is MySpace versus Facebook. Um, you know, MySpace was an excellent product. People used it, but Facebook came at the right time and was yeah. able to capture a lot of the market share. Uh, so timing, uh, talent. Do okay. you have the, the people on your team that execute the vision that you have for your company? Um, mm -hmm. If you don't have the talent, um, then you need to find the talent to make that happen. Uh, then the TAM, total addressable market. So your market mm -hmm. size. Is your market size large enough to return back investment to us that we invest? So we invest $200,000 and mm -hmm. we need to double our money. And you currently only have a million dollars of a market. Most yeah. people will never be able to capture 100% of any market. So we want to be able to see that the market is large enough that even if you got 1%, we will yeah. be able to 10x our return. Wow. Wow. That is that is very powerful. 
And I think that's something any entrepreneurs who's thinking about raising capital should think about because, you know, team timing and, you know, the addressable market. A lot of us entrepreneurs, sometimes you, you're an amazing entrepreneur, but you're just in the wrong market. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, wow, that's amazing. And, then, so, and the other thing but, I was going to oh, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> no, the other thing I was going to say, too, is that, you know, when thinking about angel investors and venture capital investors, I will say not all companies need to raise money. Mm. Um, if you're in the service industry um, and you have, you know, a product or a service or if you're in real estate or whatever, like there are some things you can do that going back to that dot. Yeah, that you can execute on to make your company successful and gradually work your way up to be, you know, whatever scale size company you want it to be. But it may take you a little longer, but it's a little less risky. So I also want to give a caveat that, you know, I know a lot of folks have been seeing a lot of the venture back deals and things like that, because that's what's being um, pushed out through social media, et cetera. Mm -hmm. But you don't need venture capital dollars or angel investment dollars to be successful. You just need a very strong plan, a very strong team, and understanding that if you spend less than you make, mm -hmm. um, you eventually will grow to the point uh, of your goals. Now, I, I like that you said that because, um, you know, like I know entrepreneurs that's they're, they're looking for investors. I'm like, you don't need it. You just need to get more customers. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Just focus on your customers. That's the thing. Like you can focus on your customers. I think that's the part I think some, some, some entrepreneurs want. They want to use money to alleviate the problem of working with their customers. They want the mm -hmm. most fancy widget to automate that process. They don't want to have to talk and talk to the customer and, do customer discovery and jump on those phone calls because that's a lot of time. It's a lot of hours. Yeah. Uh, they want to automate it. And, you know, that I'm not saying that's wrong, but I'm saying that that should not go before the, the hard work, the grit, the time mm. and the hours spent to ensuring that your service or product is the right fit for one, the market, and then two, for the type of customer you're looking to serve. Wow, wow, wow. I have so many more questions. We're going to have to get you to come back for round two. So yeah. uh, to kind of wrap things up, right? You, you've been an entrepreneur for a while as I am. What is that one small biz tips throughout your career as an entrepreneur that you think can benefit somebody maybe in the service space or the manufacturing or startup space? Yeah, so I will say this. If start with the end in mind. What I mean okay. by that in a nutshell is if you are a so if you're a service-based company and your goal is to say, I want to make a million dollars with my business, start with how much do you need to make in order to net a million dollars? And from there, reverse engineer, meaning starting with how many customers you're going to need, um, how many uh, people you're going to need to service mm -hmm. those customers, and what's the timeline you're giving yourself you will be more successful than most if you focus on that and don't confuse effort with results. Literally make sure that you work your butt off to ensure you hit that target. Um, folks in the service industry could do really well about that. And to take all the things I just said into one word or one sentence is knowing your numbers. That's okay. the best thing I would, would say is just know your numbers if we're going to do a catchphrase for uh, the service-based uh, industry and other folks in that, in that industry. 
um, know your numbers. I love it. How do people get in touch with you if they maybe want to, you know, bring a deal to you or <laughs> do business with you? Like, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, man. So right now, what I'm doing, so on Twitter, you follow me on 1888ventures. That's 1888ventures. Mm -hmm. uh, follow me, shoot me a DM. Um, it allows me to compartmentalize uh, the, the group of folks that I talk to that just hits me up randomly. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's typically hard to filter through those. Yeah. Um, so if you got a company that does that, for the listeners, if you got a company that does that, definitely hit me up. I'm trying to figure that out. But um, it allows me to kind of filter through the folks that are just coming in cold versus you guys. So if you want to mm -hmm. reach out to me, 1888 Ventures on Twitter, um, or you can just hit me up on LinkedIn. But usually LinkedIn is is spammed as well. So 1888 <laughs> Ventures literally allows me uh, to, to cipher through that. That's my filtering method right now. I love it. I love it. Guys, check out Charles. He's an amazing entrepreneur, as you can see. Thank you for coming on Small Biz Tips Podcast today. Have a good one. Uh, brother, appreciate you, man. Most definitely.